Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, if you don't know me, my name's Mark. I'm uh, uh, senior pastor at Trinity. Uh, Trinity Galewood's part of a larger church. There's actually four locations that we have, and I get to be senior pastor over all of them, so I get to go around among all four sites, and I've been here with you before, but it's a privilege to be here today. Uh, it worked out kind of really good that I was scheduled to be here today because Pastor Dave uh, and his family are actually with family this weekend. We found out this week that his grandmother passed away, and uh, so the funeral was yesterday, and, and they're, uh, they're hanging out with family still today, and so we keep, uh, keep Dave and everybody there in our prayers. Um, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Uh, Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as we meditate together on your word for us today, Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is our rock and our redeemer, who is the source of, of hope and reconciliation in our lives and in our relationships. Amen. So uh, I'm really excited because I don't know if you guys noticed at the beginning when Margaret prayed, she said for the next couple of hours. So I think I've got about an hour uh, to preach. No, I'm kidding. So um, uh, a number of years ago, I preached a sermon. And it's one of those sermons that people still talk to me about today. And, uh, and when I say that, I mean, some of them still talk to me like, I remember that sermon. It was awesome. And I remember some people are, I remember that sermon. It, it, that was terrible. All right. Um, and, uh, and what happened was people came into church. This was at our Kimberly Way location, which is kind of our original location. In fact, I think we only had that one location at the time. It was uh, about 12 years ago. And uh, uh, when people came into church in the morning, up in the front, like right about here it would be if it was here, that's what they saw. And they were kind of like, oh, I thought it was church. I came into a funeral or something, what's going on? But then they kind of noticed that even though there was this casket up in front with open, it was empty. At least they thought it was empty. It looked like it was empty. So it just sat there during the whole beginning of the service, and people are wondering, like, what the heck is that? And finally came time for the message, and I got up. And, and what I revealed to them is it wasn't really empty. There was some stuff kind of stuffed underneath the lid that was closed. And one by one, I started pulling those objects out, and I started talking about how, in the end, we couldn't take those things with us. So like, for example, at the time I had this uh, Mini Cooper uh, convertible. It was like one of my, my favorite car I ever had. So I had a model of that. And I'm like, yeah, I love this car. And I'm talking about how awesome it is. I'm like, but you know what? I, that's not going to last. It's going to be gone. You know, it's not going with me. And, and, and one thing after another, I kept pulling all this stuff, you know, money and, and a house and uh, something that represented my job and just all these things. I kept pulling out really stuff that represented just about everything in our lives. And, I, and at the end, for every one of them, I said, but you know what? In the end, it's just going away. It's not coming with me. It's not going to last until the very last thing. And the last thing I pulled out of that casket was a picture of my family. And I said, the one thing that will last beyond this life into the next, the one thing that we do take with us, the one thing that is eternal in our lives is our relationships. That, that's the only thing that lasts. The only thing we can take with us 
is the people that God has given us in our lives, whether that's our family, our friends. The relationships we have will last forever, and that's why relationships are so important. That's why they mean so much. I mean, think about it for a minute. You've probably got a friend that you've had since you were little, or, or maybe since high school, or, or, or uh, maybe if you're getting older like me, maybe since college or something like that. But, but anyway, this is somebody that you've been friends with for a long, long time, and it may be that you don't see that person very much, but when you do have a chance to get together, maybe you had a chance to get together with someone like that over the holidays or something. When, when you do get together with them, what's it like? It's like you've been together the whole time, right? Those kind of relationships are special, and they're amazing, and, uh, and they last forever. And I was, I was together with uh, one of my roommates from college uh, recently. Um, we went to Concordia, um, not far from here, and uh, uh, roomed together for a couple of years there. And, and we had a chance to be together for something recently. And we were talking about that exact thing that we were just talking about. And, and we were kind of, kind of mourning the fact that we don't get to spend more time together. He lives in Indianapolis, and, and he's busy, and I'm busy. We don't really see each other much. And, it, and at one point, I looked at him, I said, but here's the cool thing. We're going to get to be in heaven forever together. Like, yeah. Because ultimately, relationships last. And, and that's why this series that we're doing in January, this thing that, that is called a reconciler's journey, um, that's why it's so important because what we're talking about is how our relationships can be all God created them to be. Because the reality is, when it comes to relationships, even though they're wonderful and they're going to last forever, they're, they're hard too, aren't they? And sometimes it feels like they're very fragile. And uh, they can be broken so easily. You know, it's a, it's a careless Facebook post. And all of a sudden, somebody that, that you are close with, all of a sudden, there's something there. Or, or it's, it's, uh, it, it's a comment said in anger that, that really didn't mean, but, but once it's said, you can't unsay it. Or it's something that they did or you did. And, and, and it just goes on and on. Our relationships can be a struggle. They can be hard. Now, last week, uh, Dave started you guys off with, with, with this verse, this idea that God was in Jesus reconciling, that's the word that we've been using, reconciling, putting back together, restoring the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And then here's the part that's important for us to think about uh, these weeks. And he has committed to us, in other words, not only is God working through Jesus to reconcile broken relationships, but he's committed to us this job, this message of reconciliation. In other words, what we're learning uh, these weeks is even though relationships are hard, they're worth it. And, uh, and we're learning how we can be people of reconciliation, how we can be people that help fix relationships instead of people that break them. Now, we're using a story, and it's actually the story of a family, um, a, a family of this guy named Abraham and, and his wife Sarah that God calls in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, we've seen in the first 11 chapters of Genesis this the effect of sin in God's creation and how it just spirals out of control. And we've seen relationship after relationship broken. Now it started very, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, these two people that God had given to each other, the first marriage, the perfect marriage. And then after they sin and God shows up, and he's like, what have you done? Do you remember what happens? They start pointing the fingers at each other right away. Adam says to God, the woman you gave me, notice in one sentence he accused both God and the woman, right? The woman you gave me, God, one my fault, right? 
And we just see those broken relationships, Cain and Abel, and, and eventually at the Tower of Babel, just the, the spiral of out-of-control relationships. And then in Abraham, God says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to begin something with this family. Now, we talked last week, too, about how this family was not the perfect family, right? That, that there was a lot of dis function in this family. We're going to look at a little more of that today. Specifically, uh, we're looking at the story of of two of Abraham's grandchildren, uh, this guy named Jacob and this guy named Esau. Now, last week, we started the story, and we're going to end it over the next few weeks, but I want to reveal a little more of the story to you today. Uh, Last week, we talked about how it started when they were born. Even before they were born, um, Rebecca figures out that she's got twins, right? And, uh, and, and, and they're fighting, actually, in the womb before they come out, we're told. And, and she's so troubled by this, she goes to the Lord, and this is what the Lord tells her. He says, yeah, this is going to be bad. Your, your, your boys, they're never going to get along. They're going to struggle. It's going to be a problem. Um, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. You know, I always find that, that interesting, that one twin is always older than the other. Are any of you twins? You know, I have some friends that are twins, and they never stop talking about the fact that one was born before the other one, right? Well, in this case, we know that Esau was born first, but do you remember the story? As Esau's being born, Jacob's got a hold of his ankle, like his heel, and he like won't let go. He's like, no, 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 you're not getting out there first. But that's what happened. And, um, and by the way, that's why Jacob is called Jacob, because it literally Jacob means the grasper of the heel, which, by the way, is an idiom or a phrase in Hebrew that kind of means someone who deceives someone else. Someone who sneaks up behind and grabs a hold of your heel and trips you up. And, uh, and, and that kind of plays itself out in their lives. Now, we're told that they were really very, very different kind of people. We're told, that, we're told that Esau was kind of a, a man's man. He was, you know, red-haired, and he was big, and he was a hunter, and he was hairy. Um, I like, by the way, how many of you are Game of Thrones people? Tormund? Yeah, I picture that's Esau, this big, strong, warrior guy, red-headed guy, right? Um, but, but we're told that Jacob was really very different. He was kind of like ma- a mommy's boy, right? He, he loved to cook and he loved to bake. Uh, by the way, I've started baking um, lately. It's kind of a, a little hobby that I've been wanting to do for a long time. I love the Great British Baking Show, you know? And, and so I've been dreaming of this, you know, that someday when I retire and finally I'm like, why am I going to wait? I'm just going to start baking. So I've been posting pictures of the cakes I'm baking on, on my Facebook page. And a few of my friends have told me that I, they've revoked my man card. It's gone. <laughs> Um, but but that was that's Jacob. He was he was he was a, he was a baker and a, and 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 he, and he loved to stay around the tents and he didn't like to go out in the field and get dirty. And so I was thinking, if Esau is Tormund, um, who would Jacob be? And the best I can come up with is again a Game of Thrones reference. Uh, um, he's kind of a cross of of uh, Littlefinger and Mister Rogers. All right. That's- kind of what Jacob was like. And, and last week we learned the other really interesting thing about this is, is it wasn't just a problem between these two brothers, but Jacob was mom's boy. She was his favorite. And Esau was dad's boy. He was his favorite. Now, now by the way, if you're a parent and you have multiple kids, you have a favorite. You won't admit it. You'll say, no, I love all my children the same. <laughs> oh, there's a, good, there's a good look going on right here. I want, after the service, I want to hear all about that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, and, and, but in this case, it was really clear in the family that, that Esau was, was Isaac's boy and Jacob was Rebekah's, that 
and, and they caused these problems. And so, so there's two new stories we want to add to the story this morning. I kind of got you caught up now if you missed last week. But there's two new stories. And the first one comes later on when they're adults. And Esau's been out hunting in the field. We heard Zach read it uh, just a little bit ago. And he comes in and he's starving. And, and Jacob has just made this incredible lentil stew. And uh, I, I don't know how, by the way, those two words, incredible and lentil, go in the same sentence. But apparently... They did. And uh, he's made this incredible lentil stew. And, uh, and Esau's really hungry. He said, hey, Jacob, give me some of that food. And Jacob goes, here's my chance. He says, I'll give it to you, but you got to give me your birthright. Now, here's what he's talking about. In those days, nowadays, if there's two kids and mom and dad die, the estate gets split equally between the two kids, right? That's how it works. Not in that day. In that day, the oldest got an extra share so if there's two kids, the estate was divided three ways, and the oldest got two-thirds, and the youngest one-third. Now, you can imagine if you're Jacob, you're like, he was born two minutes before me, and he's going to get this extra third? That's not fair. And, and so Jacob's been plotting, he's been scheming, he's been trying to figure out a way, and finally, he sees this opportunity, and he knows Esau, and he knows that he's impulsive, and he does some weird things, and he goes, all right, hey, I'll give you some stew, but you got to give me your share. you got to give me your birthright. I want the two-thirds share. And what does Esau say? Did you notice in that story? He goes, well, if I'm dead, what good's the inheritance to me? Now, I'm sure he wasn't literally dying, right? But he was hungry. And he's like, all right, you got it. And, uh, and, and so Jacob gets his birthright. But there's a second story that, that we didn't read this morning. It's a little bit longer. If you want to read it later, Genesis 27. Um, I, I, I welcome you to, to take out your Bible and read that story through later. But let me give you the Cliff Notes version of it. Um, years after this, um, Isaac, now their father, is near the end of his life. We're told that he's, he's blind. He can't see anything. And his hearing is going. And, and he, he knows his end is near. And, uh, and he figures out it's time for him to give his son, his favorite son, Esau, his blessing. Now, what that means, that was a big deal in those days. Because while they had this inheritance that the oldest would get, it wasn't a sure thing that the father would choose the oldest to be the patriarch of the family. That's basically what Esau or what um, Isaac is doing is he's choosing which of his sons is going to lead the family after he dies. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to uh, be in control? Who's going to be the CEO of their clan? And so, of course, we know from the story he's going to choose Esau. That was not a given. He could have chosen Jacob if he wanted to, but but. Esau's his favorite, right? And so he calls Esau in and he says, Esau, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out in the field and I want you to kill something for me make, and then make me something, make me like my favorite food, you know, venison stew or something, whatever it was. He's like, I want you to make me my favorite food and bring it to, bring it to me so that I can give you the blessing. Now, Rebecca, his wife, hears this. Now, who does she want to get the blessing? Jacob. So while Esau's out hunting, she brings Jacob in and she goes, here's Jacob, what we're going to do. I got a plan. I want you to go and I want you to kill a couple of goats and I want you to make up some stew. He can't taste the thing. He's not going to know the difference. And I want you to go in and I want you to tell him you're Esau. He can't hear well. He's not going to know the difference. He's blind. And I want you to give him the food and then he will give you the blessing and then you'll be in charge. And Jacob, Jacob's like, God, he's got a lot of, pro he's like, whoa, 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 mom, seriously? I got smooth skin. He's got hairy skin. He's going to know the difference. 
And then he's going to curse me, not bless me. And she's like, no, I got this figured out. When you kill the goats, take the skin, put it over your arms. He'll reach out and feel it. He, he's, he's, trust me, he's not going to know. Jacob says, okay. And he does it. And he goes in and he tells his father that he's Esau. And, and, and read the story later. It's kind of hilarious you know, when you look at it. Because Isaac's going, you don't sound like Esau. And he's like, trust me, trust me, dad, I am. You know? And he's like, well, you... You, you, oh, yeah, you do kind of feel like Esau. And I mean, and finally he's like, okay, you're Esau. And he gives Jacob the blessing. And of course, a few minutes later, Esau comes in and he's like, Dad, here I am. And he's like, well, what do you mean, here I am? I just gave you the blessing. He's like, that wasn't me. And, and, and then Esau's like throwing himself on the ground, going, Dad, please bless me, please. And he's like, I can't. I already gave away the blessing. I, I, I can't do it again. It's done. And we're told that right then, Esau decides when dad dies, Jacob's going to die. I'm going to kill him. And, and this relationship between these two brothers who, who shared their mom's womb together, who, who've lived all these lives together, this relationship between the two people they should have been the closest to in this world is just totally destroyed and broken. Now, we're going to learn the rest of the story, by the way. But you're going to have to wait for the next couple of weeks for that. Right now, I want to say, what can we learn from this story so far? And first of all, the first thing I'd say is, it's complicated. Relationships are complicated. And when they break down, when there are problems in a relationship, it's always more complicated than it seems. Um, when I was a kid growing up, I loved Westerns. And, uh, and first of all, we had a black and white TV, okay? I'm that old, that uh, no color TV then growing up. Black and white TV. Um, but, uh, um, but you always knew who the good guys and the bad guys in the Westerns were right away. You know how? Their hats. The, the white hat guys were the good guys. The black hat guys were the bad guys. And, and by the way, now we would go, that is so totally insensitive and terrible, right? But, but that's what it was. You just knew right away. You knew who the good guys and the bad guys were. And by the way, there was never a chance, I mean, never in any of the movies I ever remember where you thought the guy was a good guy and he turned out he wasn't so good after all. Now, that's all the time now, right? You know, when you watch stuff on television, you're like, all right, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Uh, maybe there isn't a good guy and a bad guy. How many, any of you watch Ozark at all? I started watching that. Somebody recommended that to me. I'm like, there's no good guys in this. Um, but, but we have a tendency, don't we, in our relationships to be real quick to try to assign good guy, bad guy. And by the way, who's normally good guy? I am, right? You are, right? I mean, even with simple things like this, you're driving and somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? And your first thought is, that guy is a terrible driver. What the heck is his problem? Uh, evidently, where he has to go is more important than me in my life. And, and you're just, you just, they're the bad guy, right? What if you do the same thing? You accidentally cut somebody off in traffic. It's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm normally a good driver. That was just a mistake. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they know that I don't normally drive like that, right? We do that all the time. Whenever there's a problem, we are quick to excuse ourselves and quick to think the worst about the others, right? We have an argument with someone, and, and there's this angry fight. And what we're thinking about ourselves is, boy, I never lose my temper like that. They must have known just the right button to push because that's not the kind of person I am. But they have an anger problem, right? 
And by the way, they're thinking the exact same thing. In this story with Jacob and Esau, it's complicated. I mean, we, we have a tendency, this, the Sunday school version of this is that Jacob's the bad guy. He's the one that's named the deceiver, right? But, but by the way, in the first story we heard where Jacob uh, gets Esau to give him his birthright, it's really kind of interesting because the author, the writer of Genesis, at the very end says this. He says, then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank um, and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. In other words, the author of Genesis isn't pointing a finger at Jacob. He's going, yeah, Jacob took a shot. Who can blame him? He said Esau was an idiot. He gave up his birthright for a bowl of stew. What's wrong with this guy? It's more complicated. And, and, and by the way, we tend, to, we tend to, through this story, think about Jacob as being the bad guy when he, he goes in and he lies to his dad and he deceives him. But remember, who was it that started it all? His mom. So, so it's, it's always more complicated when we think. When we, when we have a problem in our relationships, it's so easy for us to give ourselves a free pass and, and point the finger at the other person. But the reality is there's always two sides to it. And, and whenever there's a broken relationship, we have to acknowledge we've, we've got some blame for that. There's, there's a part of that in our lives too. The, the, the second lesson is that the past is powerful. We see that in this story because, again, from, from, from really before they were born on, these boys had this history of problems with each other. And, and by the way, the history doesn't start with them. There's already issues between Isaac and Rebekah, and there's issues between Abraham and Sarah. There's just brokenness in this family, and it, and it goes on from generation to generation, and, and the cycle is started in their lives, and it just keeps going on and on and on, and it seems like that there's just no hope for Jacob and Esau. Now, there is hope for them, and there's hope for us too, but but folks, if we think that we can fix our broken relationships on our own, we're mistaken. You know, I, one of the things that um, I get to do as a pastor is um, people will come to me um, with, with these big problems in their lives, and they're looking for help. And, uh, and sometimes we can point them in the direction. Sometimes we can get them the help that they need. And, and one of the things that happens sometimes, I can't tell you how many times I've had uh, someone come to me, normally it's a woman who's in a, an abusive relationship. And, uh, and, and they need someone to kind of step in and break that cycle. And, and so you, you get them to the right help and you, and you get them to the right resources and you help them get out of that broken relationship. And I cannot tell you how many times a year later, they're either right back with that same person or they found somebody new who's just as abusive as the person they left before. There's, there's just this cycle of brokenness that, that it's tough to break. And that's why the good news is that God has done something about that. I love this verse that, that Zach read before. This is from Colossians chapter 1. Uh, and it starts with the most important relationship in our lives. It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's talking about Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. Folks, the ultimate cycle breaker for us is Jesus. 
And the first relationship, the first relationship that we needed to mend in our lives is our relationship with our God. You see, God created us to be his holy, perfect children, and sin has broken into this world, and it's broken into our lives. A little while later, we're, we're going to take communion together, right? I can't tell you how many times um, I've, I've gotten ready to take communion, and I've thought about some sin in my life, a struggle in my life, and I've, I've confessed it to God, and I've said, God, I, please forgive me for this, and, I, and I've made this promise, and I'm never going to do that again, only to find two weeks later, I'm right back before that altar going, oh. I'm so sorry, I did it again, I promised. See, the first broken relationship is my relationship with my God, and the good news is, according to what God's word says, is Jesus has broken into that relationship. He's, he's broken into that dysfunctional relationship caused by my sin, and, uh, and he's given me this idea of forgiveness and love and grace. And look at what it goes on to say. He says, and now you, he has now reconciled in his body a flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I want you to think about something as you sit here this morning. When God looks down on us in this room and he looks around the room at who's here, do you know what he sees? He sees us as holy. He sees us as forgiven. He sees us as perfect. I come before the altar and I go, oh man, Lord, I'm so sorry, I, I, I did it again. And he looks and he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. It's gone, it's forgiven. Now we still see our sin. When we look in the mirror, we still see stuff that Jesus already took care of on the cross. Uh, my first call as a pastor was to St. Andrews in Park Ridge, Illinois. And uh, um, we had a wonderful uh, preschool teacher there, kindergarten teacher. Her name was Marilyn, and she was just, she was so great with those kids. But I remember one time, uh, I walked past her classroom, and she had them singing Jesus Loves Me. And, and she had written some verses. I think she wrote them, but anyway, she had some verses for Jesus Loves Me that I had never heard before. So I stood there, and I'm listening to these verses, and this was one of the verses. Jesus loves me when I'm good, when I do the things I should. Jesus loves me when I'm bad, even though it makes him sad. And I stepped in the room, and I went, no! And she looked at me, she's like, what? I said, No! It doesn't make Jesus sad. It made him sad years ago on the cross, but that's done. It's paid for. It's over. When Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. Do you know how many times in the Bible when it talks about our sin, it says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I have removed your transgressions from you. Past tense, it's already gone. Folks, if we could just see ourselves the way God sees us, if we could just see ourselves as the perfect, forgiven children that through Jesus he has created us to be, our lives would be so different. Jesus has broken into our lives. He's broken into that cycle of sin in our lives and he's created a new reality. And, and that's why this U-turn now is needed in our lives. We're, we're talking this week about a, a, a kind of fancy biblical word, and it's this word called repentance. In the Old Testament, the word in the Hebrew literally means to turn around, and uh, in, in the New Testament, it means to change your mind. And, uh, and when we typically think about repentance, we think about saying we're sorry and being forgiven, but we're going to talk about forgiveness next week and the power of forgiveness in our relationships next week. But, but before forgiveness can happen, we have to repent. In other words, we have to turn 
back into that relationship. How many times when you have a relationship that's hard, that's difficult, isn't our first choice to be, you know what, I'm done. Have you ever thought that? In a relationship with someone and, and you got to a point and, and it was just like they, they did something again and got, made you angry again. And you're like, you know, life's too short for this. I can't deal with this. I'm done. We do that all the time. And, and you can probably, as you sit here today, think of a relationship that you've given up on. Well, Jesus calls us to turn back. He calls us to, to re-engage in that relationship. And again, next week and the following week, we're going to talk a little bit more about practically how we can do that in our lives. But, but the last thing I, I just want you to leave you with today as you think about this is this, that, that when we turn back, literally what we're doing is we're trying to see people the way Jesus sees them. We, ju- we just talked about how Jesus sees us as his holy, perfect, forgiven children. He sees the people in our lives that way too. There's three times in Jesus' ministry um, where he was heading in one direction. He was going with his disciples uh, to be away to a quiet place for a while with them. Or he was on his way to a certain town with his disciples. And it says he saw the crowds and he stopped and he turned back. And he came back to those crowds. And you know why? It says because he had compassion on them. That, that word, there's an interesting word. It's a, it's a Greek word that literally means guts. Do you ever, you were watching like America's Funniest Videos or something, and some guy gets on his bicycle and does his loop off and the roof, and you know he's going to land hard, and it's going to be bad, and you get this little <gasps> feeling in your gut. You ever had that happen? Or maybe you're watching a kid and, and he starts to take a tumble and you get this little <gasps> feeling in your gut. That's, that's what it's talking about. Jesus saw the crowds and he just got this. He's like, I can't keep going this way. I can't keep doing what I was going to do because they need my help. Folks, we need to see people that way. If we can see people through Jesus' eyes, if we can see them as God's holy, perfect, forgiven children, just like he sees us, then... We have a chance to make those relationships work. Um, I got one last story for you. This is a true story, um, and it comes out of our church's history. Um, a number of years ago, uh, before we became a multi-site congregation, before you know we had this site here and uh, the other sites that we have, um, we had a couple of pastors that were part of our church, and uh, their relationship became broken. And, and I don't really, this was before I was there, I don't really know what it was. I, I don't know was, what, what was at the heart of that, but, but everybody in the church knew it. Everybody in the church knew that these two pastors were just not getting along. And it was getting worse, and it was getting worse, and it was getting worse. And finally, one of those pastors just said, you know what, I'm done, I've had enough. And he laughed, and he took about 400 people with him and started a new church. It still exists today four miles away from our Kimberly Way site. And, uh, and when I first came to Trinity, I heard this story. And, uh, and I was like, I, I got to do something about this. And I'd been there a number of years, and we were doing a series on reconciliation, kind of like this. And we were doing it right around the time of our 50th anniversary as a congregation. And I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if I could get those two pastors to come back on our anniversary Sunday and preach a sermon together about reconciliation. Wouldn't that be awesome? And, and so 
I called him up. I called the first pastor up, and I told him what I just told you. I said, I, I've got this dream for our anniversary Sunday, and it, it would be that, that you guys would do this. And, and you know what he said to me? He said, that's a great idea. I would love to do that, but I guarantee you he never will. So I called the other guy. And, and, I, and I told him, I said, here's, here's what I want to do. You know, I, I've got this dream. I think it'd be beautiful. And you know what he said? I would love to do that, but he never will. And I said, no, I already talked to him. He will. He goes, no, no, he won't. And I called the first guy back, and I said, no, he said he would. No, no, he won't. And they were, they were both right, by the way, that neither of them would. Now, here's, here's kind of the rest of that story that's kind of cool. Um, we, we still invited them to the banquet that we threw, and they both came. And, and uh, my wife knew this whole story, and at one point, I feel her tugging on my sleeve. I turn, and she goes, look, there they were off in a corner, and at least they were talking to each other. <laughs> Reconciliation's hard, folks. It, it, it really is. But it's totally worth it, because our relationships are the only thing that's really going to last. And, and our relationships are, are the best gift that God has given us. And, uh, and they matter. And that's why we're on this journey together. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, um, thank you for the gift of one another. Thank you for the gift of relationships. Thank you uh, for the fact that we, first of all, have a restored relationship with you through Jesus. Lord, I don't know where we'd be without him in our lives. And, and I don't know where we'd be without our relationship with you. So thank you for that. Um, and Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us take that reconciliation that we have received and share it with others, that, that you'd help us be a force, a power for reconciliation in our relationships, that the broken relationships in our lives would be mended through you. Lord, specifically today, I pray that you'd help us see ourselves the way you see us as holy and perfect and forgiven, and that you would help us see others the way you see them. And as a result, you'd, you'd give us the chance to turn back, to lean back into that relationship and bring hope and healing from you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.